beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when I was a boy walking to school, I would be afraid of the magpies. They would swoop down and try to peck out your eyes to protect their, their nests. They were known for that. They were also known for stealing things, shiny things. Apparently, they liked to, to steal and to collect shiny things just for the sake of having them. That's what I remember from when I was a boy. But as I was researching this last week, I discovered that scientists don't necessarily agree that that's true. It may just be a myth about the, the stealing of shiny things. Scholars are still studying the issue. Maybe it is just, just a myth. But you know what is not a myth? People like things. People like things. Human beings like collecting things. Human beings like having things. And in itself, that's not wrong. You can have things, you can collect things to the glory of God. But having things and collecting things can also get out of hand. It can become pathological. We can get to the point where having things doesn't serve us, but we serve the idea of having things. And if you look at North American culture especially, there's so many things in our lives as North Americans that sometimes our houses are filled to overflowing and sometimes we don't have enough room in the shed or the workshop or the barn so North America has this fascinating phenomenon which is unique to North America this fascinating phenomenon of specialized storage places where we can keep extra stuff that's a billion multi-billion dollar industry now there's this bumper sticker which may be tongue-in-cheek, but it does sum it up for a lot of people. He who dies with the most toys wins. Now, as Christians from the Word of God, we know that loving things rather than loving God is idolatry. And I, this, this, this God, this idol of materialism, is a, is a demanding God to serve. Materialism drives the sinner to want more and more things by hook or by crook, even if it means taking something that belongs to someone else. And that's the focus of the Eighth Commandment. Taking what belongs to someone else is sin. It goes against the structure of reality the way God made it to be. And so, like any sin, it destroys the soul, it destroys life, it leads to death. Now, where does it come from? Well, like all the other sins, this sin comes from the first sin. You see, we're not sinners because we sin. It's the other way around. We sin because we are sinners. To put it another way, 
Sinners is not something we do, it is something we be, it is something we are by nature ever since the fall. And one aspect of the fall was that we took something that didn't belong to us, right? We took something which wasn't ours to take. It didn't belong to us. And so the fall introduced a fundamental twistedness in our nature, which propagates from generation to generation, ever since Adam and Eve, till this very day, to every child which is born today. Who has ever had to teach little children to take things that don't belong to them? Any parents had to teach their kids that? You put some little babies together, and sooner rather than later, one will simply look at the toy that the other one has and will think to himself or herself, I, I want that, and will take it. Simply, what baby wants, baby takes. There's no teaching necessary. We don't have to send our kids to school to learn this. It comes built in to fallen human nature. Now, as adults, we just have really sophisticated ways of, of hiding that, camouflaging and disguising that impetus in our fallen human nature. Now, in the Eighth Commandment, God teaches us that this is not the way things are supposed to be. He confronts us with our greed, with our wastefulness, with the countless ways that we devise to misuse things and to deprive others of them. And so let's turn to Scripture and let's learn together. In the first place, let's learn together that the Bible teaches that there are legitimate ways to acquire material goods. And they are mainly through, in the first place, hard work and righteous living. So if you flip to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11, and we'll go very quickly through a few Proverbs here. You have to be quick with your fingers if you want to follow along. Proverbs 12, 11, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. And Proverbs 12, verse 2, the hand of the diligent will rule while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Then look at chapter 13, verse 4 of Proverbs. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The diligent being the person that faithfully does their work. Proverbs 13, verse 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. And there's a contrast here between the faithful day-by-day work where we, where we earn our daily bread and we maybe save up a little bit to, to get something else in the future. Little by little, the wealth increases. And that's uh, here contrasted to wealth gained hastily, the kind of wealth that the lottery offers or stock market speculation or any other get-rich-quick get scheme. And the Bible says, easy come, easy go. The right way to do it is to just work faithfully. Proverbs 14, 23. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. 
Proverbs 16, verse 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. So if we're working faithfully and in a righteous manner, living righteously, we may have a little, but it tastes a lot better, or it is a lot better than great revenues which come through injustice and exploitation. Proverbs 17, verse 1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. That's similar to the last proverb we looked at. And as I was reading this proverb 17.1, I was reminded of many years ago when I was in Brazil, and, and there was a really big bank robbery, one of the biggest ever in Brazil's history, in the bank in Fortaleza, the central bank of that state. In fact, one of the people that was part of the congregation in Fortaleza that I was working with was a security guard during this bank heist. They dug underneath the road. They dug into the underground vault. And there just happened to be a, a machine parked in front of the video camera so that no one saw that hole open up and the people taking out the money, the cash. And within a few weeks and months, almost every one of this gang were dead. They had their parties, they tried to spend the money on all kinds of things, and they ended up feasting with strife, and shooting each other. A few bodies were found down at the bottom of wells and in other places. And that's very much the picture of gain by wickedness. A house of feasting filled with strife is not a pleasant thing. And we turn to the New Testament, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Verse 7, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 7. And here Paul is speaking to the Thessalonian church, and he says this, For you yourself know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Or literally it says in the Greek, to earn their own daily bread. So that's the way... The Bible teaches, and we can multiply more examples. That's the way the Bible teaches for how we ought to acquire material goods and our daily bread. Just simply, faithfully, consistently, humbly using our gifts and talents to do our daily work. And there is another way that we can gain material goods, and that is through inheritance. If you turn to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, the scripture says this, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. And then in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 14, the scripture says this, A house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. So houses and wealth can be inherited, and that's a legitimate way to gain wealth. So hard work, righteous living, faithfully every day, 
and then also inheritance. Those are the main ways that Scripture teaches that we can legitimately acquire and increase material goods. There are lots of ways that we ought not to acquire material goods, and the, the Lord's Day lists a whole bunch of them in answer number 110. And we'll go through a few verses which speak about some of these things. If you turn to Proverbs chapter 21, verse 6, so we're going to look at a few ways that Scripture teaches that acquiring material goods are not blessed by God. Proverbs 21, 6, the Scripture says, The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. The, the unbeliever thinks, wow, I, I lied and I, I locked out. I got some free stuff or I got some stuff which normally I wouldn't have gotten if I told the truth. But the scripture says, you know what? That's a fleeting vapor. It's a snare of death. It's not going to be a blessing to you acquiring material goods or wealth through lying. And we turn to Proverbs chapter 28, verse 8. Whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. Now, we don't have time to go into all the details of this question here about interest and, and profit. Suffice it to say that the scripture does recognize that it is uh, legitimate to rent out your land for a reasonable amount because basically the other person is paying you for the, the, the number of crops that he gets to get out of your land. And especially in the Reformation, as we looked at the question of usury and profit and interest, the Reformers understood that you can do the same thing with money as you can do with land. You can rent out your money, and you get a certain amount for that because the other person is getting the use of your resources, and there's a legitimate reason to, for him or her to acknowledge that through a payment. But what the Scripture here and in many other places forbids and describes as abominable in the eyes of God, is usury, which is exacting, punishing interest rates, which enslave the borrower. That is totally forbidden. That is not in line with what Scripture teaches. In Brazil, credit cards for people can sometimes come with an interest rate of 15 or 16%. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, that's lower than what we have here in Canada, but that's 15 or 16% per month. And so the annual rate can approach about 500%. So if a poor person buys a pair of shoes on credit card and is not able to make the payments, within a year, they owe five times the amount of what that pair of shoes cost the credit card company to pay for. And that makes people into debt slaves. And that is the kind of usury and profiteering and exploitation which Scripture roundly condemns. And so someone who owns a bank like that or somebody that has shares in a bank like that is part of the problem and is participating in the sin. Then we turn to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 23. Unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord and false scales are not good. So this speaks about what the Catechism mentions as false weights and measures where you tell somebody I'm selling you a kilogram of rice for so much, but actually you sell them 800 grams instead because you've been manipulating the scale so that it 
says it's more than it really is. And then we have Proverbs chapter 22, verse 16. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Wealth acquired through oppression, through, through ripping off the poor, exploiting the vulnerable, whether it is by force at the end of a gun or whether it is by show of right where you use all kinds of legal technicalities to impose yourself on those who are not able to defend themselves from you. Oppression, exploitation is sin, and whoever gets wealthy by it is abominable in the eyes of God. Now, the world says, you know, you have to do everything to get rich quick because getting rich is the only way you can have a nice life and be happy. The world lives for today, for this life. The Bible says the opposite. The Bible says, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 21, an inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. You know, all kinds of magazines, money magazines and investment magazines, they sell this line that if only you can quickly get lots of money, then you can be happy, then life can be good. And you sometimes see these kinds of magazines in the the magazine racks of Christian homes. You know, the Bible says that this is not the way things are supposed to be. An inheritance gained quickly or hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. Remember what Scripture teaches? Faithful daily work, faithful daily spending and saving is the way that God approves of for acquiring and maintaining material wealth. And so the Catechism speaks about greed and abuse and squandering or or wasting of gifts as well in the end of question and answer number 110. And that makes us think of Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20. But the scripture says, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. And then connected to that, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 19. Proverbs 23, 19, where the scripture says, hear my son and be wise and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. So what are these two Proverbs talking about? They're talking about the fact that your finger can hover over the add to cart button on Amazon for more than one reason. Either for one reason, it could be that we want more things to collect, that we want to just have more and more and more. And another reason could be that we want more things to consume. But either way, That's stealing. Just mindless consumerism, whether it's to collect or to consume, is stealing from ourselves. Because when the time comes, we have nothing. We've burned through it all. It's stealing from God because he gives us gifts to to sustain us. And we've burned through them carelessly. And it's stealing from family and from the church. If we use up all of our resources and wild and extravagant and wasteful spending, then when the time comes that we have our needs that we can't, we can't meet, 
and we hold out our hand to family or church, we're stealing from others who have been faithful in administering the material goods that God has entrusted to them. Now, by nature, we hate hard work. By nature, by fallen nature, we love stealing and lying and cheating and misuse of God's holy gifts. That's who we are by nature. We, we bring shame on the name of the Lord in every way, also in the way in which we use material possessions. But when God comes into our lives, something changes. In fact, when God comes into our lives, he changes us. And when God changes us, when God the Holy Spirit transforms us, then everything changes. All of our attitudes, all of our, all of our priorities, all of the, the goals that we have for every day, for every week, for, for all of life, they change. And also our relationship to things changes when we know the power, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, our relationship to things changes radically. Because in Christ, we want to use things to glorify God and to love our neighbor. And you see that, that attitude of the believer already in the Old Testament amongst the believers. Look at Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7 for a moment. In Proverbs 30, verse 7, the believer says this, Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. What is the believer saying here? He's saying, listen, I, I just, I don't want to be rich. I don't want to be so rich that I say, I don't need God. I don't want to be so poor that I might be brought to steal to survive and bring shame on the name of the Lord. Lord, just give me sufficient for the day. Just give me my daily bread, please. Because I want to have a relationship with things, with material wealth, which brings you glory. And so this love for God, this being satisfied in God's provision, it changes our relationship also with our neighbor. Because when we're in Christ, when the Holy Spirit is in us, then it's not like it used to be in our fallen state. Other people are no longer interesting to us as people that we could potentially exploit or get something out of. You see, that's how the the unregenerate look at each other and how they look at other people. What can I get out of this person? How can this person serve me? But in Christ, we think differently. When we have the Holy Spirit in us, then other people represent opportunities for sacrificial love, for service, for giving, not for taking. You know, that just doesn't happen just automatically. It, it needs to be deliberate. It's something for us to think about as we go around. I mean, nowadays we, we have to stay home a lot, but as we, as we used to go around and go to the stores and go to different places, think of how you treat people when you buy something at a convenience store, for instance. You see that person as someone that's just there for you. 
like a machine that you pay and you walk away and you don't even think of them as a human being? Or do you think of this person as someone whom God is putting in your way to be a blessing to them, to show the love of Christ to them, to pray for them, to think about them as a fellow human being and not just someone there to use or to exploit? So a life transformed by the Holy Spirit changes us. And a life transformed by the Holy Spirit reveals a different attitude toward material goods. They are things which God has entrusted to us for his glory and for us to serve and show love to others. So renewal by the Spirit, a Spirit-filled life, looks like something. It looks different. Also in very practical matters as, as how we acquire and how we use material possessions. What did the Apostle Paul command believers in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3? We read th- that section there. He said, I command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ that you do your work quietly and earn your own living, earn your own bread. He called them to a different way of looking at work, of looking at labor, of looking at earnings, of looking at money. Not to wait for handouts from the government, not to wait for handouts from others, but just faithful labor. That's Christian love. That's what Christian love looks like. That's what a Christ-filled life means. It means that if at all possible, I strive to earn my own bread so I can provide for myself and for my family. And Psalm 128 speaks about that, doesn't it? Psalm 128 speaks about the blessed man who eats of the fruit of his labor, not someone else's labor, which is the dream of many, but the fruits of his labor. We turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3. 1 Timothy 5, 3. And we see that a transformed life by the Holy Spirit, we, we take care of our family's needs, but not just immediate family, also extended family. 1 Timothy 5, 3 to, to 8, where the scripture says this, Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. Now listen to this. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, And especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So the apostle says, children have to make return. Their parents have invested so much love, so much care when they were little babies, when they were little kids. And when the parents are older and more vulnerable and more in need, it is right and it is good and it is holy and it is God-glorifying. And it is characteristic of spirit-filled human beings that they love, that they delight to use their resources to care for their elderly parents, especially when they're vulnerable and 
in need. And then note verse 8. To refuse to use our resources in that way. In other words, when we love things more than we love people, that is a denial of the faith and makes us worse than unbelievers. And I'm thinking of an egregious example of this. If you can read about this in, in Hong Kong, which is very crowded, very expensive, where some elderly people basically live in little cages, literally little cages, as they spend their last lives, uh, their last years of life on this earth, while their children and grandchildren are roaming about the city with their latest model iPhones and fancy cars. And the apostle says that's not the way transformed children of God, spirit-filled believers, deal with their needy family. To love things more than people is a denial of the faith. And that's not who we are. That's not who we are in Christ. And so we read Ephesians chapter 4. We read the last part of that chapter. And the last part of Ephesians 4 speaks about that transformation. You look at verse 28, for instance. If you're in Christ, then you no longer steal. You, you, you give yourself over to honest labor. Why? Well, obviously, to take care of your family, but also so you can share with anyone in need. Because all of a sudden, things are not the most important. People are. You see, when the Spirit fills us, when He transforms us, He changes our attitude. He changes our relationship with material things. So we take care of our families. We take care of extended families. We take care of the needy. And from there we go on. Because we also have this driving desire to use our material resources not for our private pleasure, not for our bucket list, but for the advance of the kingdom of God, for the glory of God, and for the upbuilding of our neighbor, for loving God, for loving our neighbor. That means that spirit-filled believers are faithful in setting aside the necessary resources, not just for family and extended family and the needy, but also the necessary resources for gospel preaching. What does the apostle say to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9? He says, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And in the context, he tells the church, you need to be thinking of this too, that you need to be putting aside resources to support gospel ministry. You see, the preaching of Christ, the preaching of the word of life, depends on the faithful, open-handed giving of God's people to support preaching, to support evangelism, to support missions. Because we don't just want to feed people who are hungry. We want to do that too. But we also want to see starving sinners fed with the bread of life. You see, that's part of what it says in the, in the answer 111, that I will promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may. And sharing the gospel is surely one of the highest and most beautiful and sublime ways of promoting our neighbor's good. So what is a life a spirit-filled and transformed life of administering in a righteous and holy way our material resources in view of all the scriptures being looking at, what does it look like? Well, it looks like this, Proverbs eleven twenty four. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. 
Another withholds what he should give and only suffers one. Have you noticed that in your life? Have you noticed that? That the more you think, well, I I need to just kind of keep stuff for myself because I got to look after me, then it doesn't really work, does it? It doesn't really, you don't really get ahead. But when by the Spirit of God, by his grace, you are open-handed, it's amazing. You cast your bread on the waters and it comes back after many days. It's incredibly liberating and enriching to be liberal in the power of the Holy Spirit, liberal with our material goods. And there's the opposite as well. Proverbs 21.13 says this, Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. If we're so hard-hearted that we don't even hear the cry of the needy, the vulnerable, the oppressed, the exploited. There will come a day, says the scripture, when we're crying out, when we need help, and we will experience the same deafening silence. And that's not a place anyone would want to be. Brother and sister, consider this. The way that we deal with our finances is an x-ray of our spiritual state before God. I don't have time to go into all the details on that. I'll just leave that with you. Think about the way you deal with your finances. Think about the state of your finances. Think of the way, the way you, you deal with your finances and the way you think about them. The way you deal with your finances is an x-ray of your spiritual state before God. And here's the question that the Spirit puts to us this afternoon. Do, do we love things or do we love people? You see, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and only by his power, we can recognize together with David what he says in 1 Chronicles 29.16. 1 Chronicles 29.16, David can't build the temple, but he manages to collect a whole bunch of stuff for the future building of the temple. And the people just give and give and give and keep giving, and there's an immense amount of wealth ready for the project of temple building. And what does David say, 1 Chronicles 29, 16, when he looks at all this wealth that God's people have collected and given freely for the work of the Lord? He says, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. It's all yours. We're not doing you a favor here, Lord. We're just giving back to you what belongs to you because everything we have belongs to you. I'm reminded of a a dear sister in Christ, a very simple woman who lived in great poverty, also in Fortaleza. And she got a job finally, a part-time job, and she was so excited to have a little bit of income. And I met her in her tiny little living room where our knees were touching. That's how small the living room was as we sat on the two chairs in it. And she says, Pastor, don't worry. I, I already set aside the part that belongs to the Lord. And she was telling me that she, had, she was putting aside her offering, her, her first fruits from her, her income, which was a beautiful thing in her poverty. And I looked at her and I said, Sister, but it all belongs to the Lord. And she got these 
this deer in the headlights look because she thought I was telling her she had to give everything to the church. And I said, no, no, that's not what I mean. But everything you have, not just the part that you give back to the Lord, but all of you, your, your income, all of your resources, all of your spending, it's all the Lord's. And when you give it to the church, it's a holy thing. And when you buy food for your family, it's a holy thing which brings honor and glory and praise to the Lord. All of our resources, all of our income is from the Lord, is all his own. That's David's confession. That should be our confession as well. Because it's the confession of the spirit-filled life. Everything belongs to God. Not just the part we put in the collection plate, not just the part we give to the church, All of it is his. All is from him. All is to be used for him. Now, as we think about that, that everything we have ought to be used for God and for his glory and for our neighbor's good, we're not supposed to be looking at other people. We're not supposed to be thinking about people in the church or the community that have more than we do. This is not a time to start thinking, wow, so-and-so should really use their incredible wealth to start blessing other people. Don't go spending other people's money because that's what the whole commandment's about. It's not yours. You have nothing to do with it. Look at what you have. You know what you have? The poorest amongst us is in the top 1% of global wealth. The poorest person in this congregation is in the top 1% of the world's global wealth. We are indescribably rich. And so what do we need to do? We need to pray. Lord, thank you that your spirit has changed me to love people and not things. Help me to use the resources you've entrusted to me to your glory and to love my neighbor. And let's sing about that now. Psalm 37, stanzas 10 and 11 and 12. The psalmist says, you know what? The wicked have one way of dealing with material wealth. They borrow, they don't repay. But the just give with open hand. You know, we don't always get it right. Look at verse 10 there. When in their steps they falter and are shaken, the Lord himself will grasp them by the hand. We, we make our mistakes. We have our failings. We have our, our falling down. But God restores us. He takes good care of those who on his help depend. And what does it look to live a spirit-filled life? Always freely given, freely lending. Blessed are their children, praised by everyone. Like them, do good to those in need attending. Turn from all sin and paths of evil shun. Let's sing that together, Psalm 37, 10, 11, and 12. Amen.